Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Clay Thompson getting shots up Monday night. 60-point game. 60 points in 29 minutes. Seku Smith from NBA.com. My main man, Lang Whitaker in New York. Did you ever score 60 in a game at any level at any time in your life, Lang? When I was in... um... Well, the answer is yeah, no. When I was in elementary school, I scored 27 out of 31 points in a game once. Who who are you playing with? This is the championship game. We defeated a team that uh, the the best player on the other team scored 25 of their 29. Oh. So the two of us had, had a duel for the ages. <laughs> yeah, well, I like. I wonder how many dribbles you needed. Clay Thompson only needed 11 dribbles in 90 yeah. seconds of actual real-time possession of the basketball to score 60 points. Um, a remarkable, uh, you know, performance Monday night. Um, Brent Barry and I were in the studio that night with Vince Cellini watching it, and it was just, I mean, it was ridiculous watching him work like that. And watching the Warriors work so effortlessly, to you know, to get him the ball. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I guess we shouldn't shouldn't be stunned you know, with the amount of offensive talent, the way they share the ball, that a guy could have a night like that. But if you if somebody would have told you one of those Warriors was going to go off for 60 points in the first month <laughs> of the season, would you have guessed it would be Clay, based on him having a 37-point quarter uh, on his resume? Or would you have thought it had been, you know, Steph Curry or Kevin Durant? I. I don't know. I mean, that that thirty-seven point quarter was remarkable. Um, I is he maybe the most flammable out of that trio? <laughs> I don't know. Huh. I don't. <laughs> that's a good question. I would think that it would be Steph. You know, I could, guess who would be the most likely to you know to go Johnny Flame on everybody. But I mean, we are talking about Kevin Durant, the most arguably the most prolific scorer of his generation, and one of yeah. the greatest scorers of all time. Um, on that same roster, Clay, Clay to me just seems like the one. If if somebody's gonna go to go to work and get sixty points in twenty nine minutes, the way he plays, I would say Clay would be high on that list. Yeah, he also benefits. I mean, even more so this year than last year from having those guys around him. Yeah, and and he has the ability, like you just said, to to get that. He's got the most. Uh, I don't know, efficient shot in the NBA. And I think he, to me, he does. And, and to be able to score 60 on 11 dribbles, you know, I mean, that's stupid. So I, I think having Durant there now gives him even more of an opportunity. And, you know, earlier in the season, that when they the season began, um, there was a couple games where Clay wasn't hitting those shots. And I, I actually ran the numbers and 
he was shooting something like going back to the playoffs last year. He he'd had a stretch of like ten or eleven games where he was shooting something like thirty percent. Or yeah, he's struggling. But uh, I think we're seeing that balance out now. <laughs> so like everybody's been drilling down on this performance and just the amount of sheer you know the sheer volume of points he piled up in in just twenty nine minutes. <clears throat> and you look at the pace he was on two point zero seven points per minute. Will Chamberlain's a hundred point game. In 48 minutes, he was on a 2.0, 2.08 points per minute pace. Did we get robbed of an even more ridiculously epic performance by Steve Kerr and his decision not to play Clay in the fourth quarter? No, you know who robbed us? Nate McMillan and the Indiana Pacers <laughs> for not keeping that game close. Like, if that game is close, he's got to stay in the game. Right. I mean, in a way, I guess it's also Clay's fault because <laughs> he made all those shots and built up such a lead that he had to come out. But. You know, when Kobe had the game uh, against Toronto, when he finished with, what, 80, um, that game was close enough that Kobe had to stay in the game. Yeah. I don't, you know, I'm yeah, not, as old as, yeah. not as old as you, so I don't remember the Wilt game. But <laughs> I don't, I don't. I mean, how, how close was that game that Wilt had to play all 48 minutes? Yeah. Uh, and uh, from from what I've been told, Wilt, was, Wilt stayed in because they knew he was on a monster pace and was going to get you know, it was going to have uh, some kind of otherworldly night. It wasn't like they looked up and said, well, we're up 15. Will can come out. We're good. It was like, feed <laughs> you know, the, you know what the final, <laughs> final score of that game was? I just looked. Yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia, 169. New York Knicks, 147. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um, just, I mean, just a stunning, stunning night, though. Um, and a great night for games. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on um, that night. You know, triple-doubles. Russell Westbrook slaying your Hawks. Yeah, I didn't actually – I was watching that game, and then I switched over to something else. And by the time I saw on Twitter that Clay was going crazy, I flipped over to that game, and he was coming out of the game. And I didn't get to see him until the replays. You're too busy watching uh, Victor Oladipo slam the rim on Dwight Howard's head. Double pump. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's nothing new for Dwight. He gets dunked on a lot. and I've, <laughs> I've talked about that with him throughout his career. <laughs> That comes with the territory. Yeah, if you're going to be fearless and go after, yeah, and, and try and yeah. block shots, you're going to get caught every now and then. Um, speaking of triple doubles and, and Russell Westbrook, who apparently has decided he's going to get one every night out. Um, he's got six straight heading into Friday's game against Houston where he will play uh, the other man who seems to think triple doubles are the norm, yeah. uh, his former Thunder teammate, James Harden. Uh, I, I don't know what's – you know, people have been trying to debate what's more impressive. Um, you know, the fact that he's getting them in such a wicked streak right now with a Thunder team that really needs him to get triple doubles. It's not like he's doing this in chasing numbers, Bobby Sura style. He's actually, I mean, they need him to, to perform like this in order to win games and to keep keep the pace in the Western Conference playoff chase, don't they? I think so. I mean, that's the best part about it. It's the same thing as the the Clay Thompson. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like the, they got to stay close, so he's got to stay in the game and keep playing. I, to me, that game against the Hawks, Westbrook was just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and you know, Tabo Cephalosha was guarding him and having played with him, knows him well. Yeah. yeah, he he had a couple steals in the first quarter, just in the open court off of Westbrook. He's he like Westbrook threw a pass and he cut it off two feet away and stole it. And, uh, but by the end of that game, everyone else was kind of worn down and tired, and Westbrook looked like the game had just started. Um, I, I said he was—he's like a 
indestructible cyborg who that's also into fashion but he's he's incredible and i just hope he can maintain this i you know i was i was over at the arena um before, mm-hmm. you know for pregame and i watched him work out a little bit and then he came walking back and you know towards the locker room i don't think people realize you can't tell on tv because of the size of the other guys on the court i don't think people realize what a physical specimen russell westbrook has become in terms of just how yeah. Strong. He's, you know, he's bulked up to the point where you look at him and it's like, man, he's he was a slender, explosive, wiry athlete earlier in his career. Now he's a physical force. Like he's, there's a reason he gets second and third jumps and gets double digit rebounds every night, going in amongst the trees. You know, it's because he's he's physically put himself in a position to play at that breakneck pace. You know, and I don't I don't guess he's much heavier than he's always been. But I think if you just look at him and how tight, tightly wound he is physically and his muscular, you know, definition now is just way different than it was say three, four years ago. I mean, he's, he's become a physical freak of an athlete in addition to doing these freakish things with the triple doubles. Hashtag muscle watch. Hashtag also, I mean, muscle watch. his upper body is basically an upside down triangle, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I, I noticed that when I was in the locker room, because you know he wears, he's into fashion, and he could wear those clothes that, right. that most people can't wear, that are like you know built for for guys with a small waist. But his shoulders are like twice the size of his waist, yeah. twice the width of his waist. Um, the other thing is, you know, I, I watch League Pass via the the app mm-hmm. on my Xbox, and I don't know if they how it works on television League Pass because I don't watch it on cable. Mm-hmm. Not a cord cutter, but I'm I'm getting there, but. They, uh, I don't know how how it works on there, but on on the Xbox, when they go to commercials on the broadcasts, instead of showing you commercials, they actually just stick with the arena feed. The feed, yeah. So, so you get to see like the timeout, mm-hmm. you know, mascots and everything. On the Hawks pregame, I saw the pregame, and then they cut went to a commercial, and the arena camera just stayed on Westbrook. It was during the pregame warmups, mm-hmm. and Westbrook was just sitting on the bench holding a basketball, just sitting there. Um, just kind of staring into the distance, not really doing anything as everyone else warmed up. And then at one point, Steven Adams came over and sat down a couple seats away, didn't say anything. The two of them just sat there for a minute or two. Steven Adams leaned over and said something, and Westbrook said something back, and they both laughed, and then Adams left him alone. And it, But there, there was about a three or four or five-minute uh, shot of Westbrook just sitting there on the bench, and I was thinking, like, what is he thinking? Like, is this him – kind of getting into that mindset of I'm about to go out of here and dominate this game for 48 minutes. You know, I mean, it, it we, you talk about the physical preparation. I think there's also a lot of mental preparation that goes into it that we kind of take for granted with him. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he's got a chance to break Wilt's record. Um, if he keeps piling up triple doubles by, what is it? Next Wednesday at Utah, <laughs> he could have a chance to get it. Um, I, I think he's got, a very good. I mean, I I can see him doing it. I don't. I think so too. I don't, I don't you think there's any doubt about it. Mentioned they play Houston on Friday. Um, I mean, think about that All Star game backcourt of him and Harden <laughs> starting the Western Conference, and that means Clay and Steph are coming off the bench. But I mean, how so can you pick it. against? Yeah, yeah, how can you pick against those two guys? Think about the the last week with the uh, MVP ladder because Russ. Harden and Durant were one, two, three uh, yeah. last week. So some 
Some genius on the desk at NBA.com decided to run a picture to three of those guys hugged up on the on the bench. And, of course, I got skewered by people from Oklahoma City, you know, rubbing, like like I was trying to rub it in their face that they had all three of these guys on one team. They uh, did. I know. It's like, hey, <laughs> I wasn't, you know, nobody's trolling you. It's, the, it's facts. Um I- I should I, actually we should take a moment because I was getting skewered on Twitter yesterday for uh, <laughs> on on the blog table on NBA.com yesterday we had to pick our All Star starters right. and uh, in the Eastern Conference I I went with uh, at the small forward position Carmelo Anthony and a lot of people from Wisconsin apparently are on Twitter <laughs> and uh, were upset that I didn't have Giannis in my uh, right. starting five and didn't understand why and I, I'll just say now. The reason why is because this isn't the All-NBA team. It's the All-Star team. <laughs> First of all, Melo averages more points per game than Giannis. But also, I, I feel like I need stars on this team. I want this game to, to have star power. And Melo is on a better team. And I, I feel like uh, that's my that's one of my stars. And I want to have him on my starting lineup. Yeah, Giannis I mean, come off the bench. You've always been very adamant, though, about the All-Star game being about the stars. It's got it in the title. Who, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know, that's a good argument to make that you know that that's what that game should be about. Um, I, you know, you, to me, you can't go wrong. I mean, all, there, it's not like we're stretching. It's not like those years. And forgive me, <clears throat> Canada, for for bringing this up. It's not like those years when Jamal McGlure was making All Star teams and you had to find somebody at a certain position to fill out a, a roster. I mean, I had a little bit of problem with that in the East, trying to find a center. You don't have to. That's what I'm saying. You don't have to have a center. You don't have to have right. a traditional center. It could be, you know, a bunch. No, but of... I mean, I'm just thinking like in terms of having a lineup on the court. Basically, LeBron's playing center in the East. That's what he does half the time anyway. Against not against <laughs> Antonio Davis and Demarcus Cousins. Anthony Davis. Anthony I'm Davis. I'll say, what are you talking not about? Not against Antonio Anthony Davis. Davis and Demarcus Cousins. Well, look. It's positionless basketball in this era, baby. We don't have to have designations, you know, traditional designations for a guy to search spot. I like it like this. I do. I really do. And I, in uh, we talked about Monday's, you know, out, outlandish slate of games, just fantastic games. Seven of the 11 games, you know, were, were decided by five points or less or within five points. Um, you know, seven or ten games. Were won by ten plus points, uh, you know. On the blow, you know, from the blowout Wednesday, going back to the fabulous Monday, that's just a to me a, a indication of just how unpredictable and volatile the league is this year. You go after Cleveland in the East, it's anybody's show. I mean, yeah. from Toronto down to the number eighteen, with on whatever day you pick, any of them could fill those slots two through eight uh, in the West. I think we got a much better indication Wednesday night of just how far yeah. the Clippers are from being on the Warriors level. Um, but I don't think there's any question. Cleveland, to me, in, even with Golden State being as good as they are right now and as good as they look, Cleveland's still the team to beat to, in the entire league to me. To me, Cleveland holds that distinction right now heading into Christmas. I, I, Christmas can't get here soon enough. I know. <laughs> and, I, and I'm not talking about. You're not talking presents. about the gifts. You're talking about, <laughs> you're talking about the Cavaliers Warriors game. Although that envelope of cash that the parents give you ain't ain't bad, but <laughs> yeah, that Cavs Warriors game is going to be uh, something to see. Uh, you know, I was at the Cavs game last night here in New York, mm. and uh, 
those guys are focused. <laughs> They're locked in. There was a play in the third quarter. I mean, the game was pretty much a blowout from the jump. But right. There was a play in the third quarter where the 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 Cavs ran a, an offensive set. They got Kyrie a three pointer from the corner. He drained it, and uh, the Knicks called a timeout. And Tyron Lue walked out on the court and clapped a couple of times. Like he was so excited that the play worked and they ran right. it perfectly. And this is when they were up like twenty five. You know, like they they were focused on the little things and and locking down these little plays and these little actions now uh, this far in advance. So yeah. it, it, they were they were really impressive last night. Yeah, look, they look fantastic. And uh, and we haven't talked as much about the Cavaliers this season as I'd like. But um, we need to dig down a little deeper on the Cavs today here on the Hangtime Podcast. Um, and, and that will require some outside help. First up. On the outside help with the Cavaliers, Lang, is uh, our main man, John Schumann, who just so happens to have some Cavaliers-related info for the Schumann stat this week. Gentlemen, what's up? Shoe, what's going on? What up? So, I think, like, before the finals last year, I don't know if I wrote it or talked about it on one of our um, stand-ups in San Francisco or Cleveland, mm-hmm. but um, that the finals was sort of a matchup of the the league's most prolific three point shooting team and the Warriors, because in the postseason <laughs> last year the Cavs turned into like this three point machine. Um, I think Lang remembers them yeah, hitting the twenty five threes in a game against the Hawks. That was mostly against Atlanta. Yeah. So, but that has carried over into the regular season this year. Um, and it's sort of a, the, the way the league is trending. We've known that, you know, threes are becoming um, a bigger part of the league every year, but this year we've seen an even bigger jump. Um, in fact, we've seen the biggest jump in the percentage of shots that are threes um, from year to year since uh, the year that the league moved the three point line in, in 94, you can ask, our friend Dennis Scott about that and how, how, how much that made him happy. Um, so basically we've seen this huge jump league wide and sort of the Cavs are sort of right in the center of that. Um, for an example, like five years ago, one team, the Orlando magic took 30% of its shots from three point range. Right now, the league as a whole is taking more than 30% of its shots um, from three point <laughs> range. Grief. And the Cavs and the Rockets. The Rockets are number one in that regard. Um, but the Cavs are right there behind them. And the Cavs are shooting 40% from three. They um, Right now they rank as the 11th best three-point shooting team of all time. At 40, They'd be the 11th team to shoot 40% or better from three. And they're doing it at a higher volume than any of the other teams that have done it, including last year's Warriors. Um, and what's crazy about it, though, is like, J.R. Smith is their most prolific shooter, and he's only shooting 33%. Um, you know, you have Love shooting incredible, Irving shooting uh, 42%, Love 42%, Channing Fry has been ridiculous, 48%, yeah. Shumpert 45%. Um, so these guys have just, I mean, they just have a machine, and it's, you know, LeBron is at the center of it, and you just put four or five, you know, three or four shooters around him on every possession. Um, and it's a the ultimate sort of pick your poison situation um, yeah. for defenses. Um, and you know, one one other sort of uh, great stat is that Kevin Love and Channing Fry have shot 
56% on three-pointers off of LeBron's passes and 35% on three-pointers otherwise. So it sort of tells you, like, this dude, you know, he's just incredible in his ability to attack but also just throw pinpoint passes all over, all yeah. over the floor. You know, no matter where the help is coming from, he's going to find the open guy. If I'm Kevin Love and somebody else tries to pass me the ball when I'm out by the three-point line, I throw it right back to him. Give it to LeBron so he can no, get no, it. No, 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 yeah. yeah. Like, like a I got a, superstition. I got a, uh, I got a stat for you guys, a, a, a trivia kind of stat. I, just because I was curious, I looked this up the other day. The 25 oldest players in the NBA, guess who averages the most minutes per game? Of the of the 25 current 25 old. oldest players in the league? Yeah. Jeez. Vince Carter. He's up there, but he's not, he's not the, the leader. Yeah, the guess you. Who's older than Vince? Richard Jefferson. Vince is the oldest, but he's. I'm talking about the 25 oldest guys. Mm-hmm. Richard Jefferson's up there too, but not. He's not in the like top five. The the the, the oldest player averages the most minutes. Kyle Korver, the Atlanta yeah. Hawks. Not for long. It's a game. Yep. Not, not for, for long, long, baby. He's not. He's coming <laughs> off the bench. Uh, Kyle Korver averages 28.1. Uh, Vince averages 26. Point five, Richard Jefferson's at about eighteen point five. So, I just got curious the other day. I was looking that up, and then a couple of days later, everything changed. <laughs> Shoot, I think Lang's <laughs> trying to muscle in your on your uh, Schumann stat. That's all right. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the uh, the Cavs are Cavs and Rockets both on pace to break the Warriors' record for most threes in a season, which they, obviously they set last year. Yeah. They're the first team to crack a thousand. Cavs and Rockets both on pace to crack uh, 1100 this year. Warriors a little behind. I, I would I would bet that the Warriors can run them down if they want to. Um, yeah, but we've talked about it in the past. You know, the Warriors, like I said, you know, the great thing about the Warriors is they're not just chucking. You know, yeah. like you saw even last night, like Clay and Clay Thompson and Stephen Curry. Like if you run up on them, they're just going to go around you. And they go to the basket and they finish well at the rim. And that's the other, I mean, it's sort of the other addendum on this is like. You know, the league is shooting more threes more than ever, but, like, layups are still the most valuable shots on the floor. And free throw trips are the most val- most efficient way to score still. Yeah. Like, so team- defense has still got to protect the paint. And, and the great, like I said, the great thing about the Warriors is that take advantage of their shooting to get better shots, to get layups and dunks, you know. And that's, you know, that's sort of the difference between them and everybody else is they have, both the shooting and the guys that can get to the basket and, and score pretty efficiently there, too. Exactly. John Schumann with the Schumann stat every week here on the Hang Time Podcast. Appreciate it, brother. Go practice sure. your three-point shot. All right, fellas. Later. All right, now. Lang, we've already had one outside expert help us out with the Cavaliers, but now let's get somebody who really knows what they're talking about. No offense, John Schumann. Um, Dave McMenamin <laughs> of ESPN.com and ESPN fame, the, the man who you can spot basically wherever LeBron, Teron Lou, or any of the Cavaliers are. Dave, I've seen you so much on TV in the background next to LeBron, next to somebody. Seriously, is this is this the the most hilarious time of your career when you consider how often you have to be around to listen to questions asked that you've asked a million times already? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I would use hilarious. It's painting on some days, but uh, it's also interesting, though, because LeBron can say something, and maybe it's you know the the eighth or tenth paragraph in a story. Right. Um, 
that I would include as a detail, and then he gets followed up about it, and he will bring it up. And this time, maybe there's more cameras, there's more reporters, and all of a sudden, it becomes a new news cycle. That just happened when we were at Madison Square Garden. He was asked about Russell Westbrook's triple doubles. Uh, we already went in depth on LeBron's triple doubles. He almost got one with Oscar Robertson, the man himself, in the building at a Cavs game, and <laughs> LeBron made extensive comments on that. But you know, now that Russell's had six in a row, he, he was asked about it again, and all of a sudden, there's another news flash. So it's, it's always interesting to kind of uh, train your ear to to know what you think could hit, um, and sometimes you have to write the same story over again. This is like old home week on the Hangtime Podcast because we have two NBA.com OGs. We just had Schumann on. <laughs> we got David Miniman. Uh, Dave, I saw you last night at the Garden. I think for, for some of us who don't watch the Cavs every night, I, I say you and I talked about this earlier, I was just so impressed with their focus and they seem really locked in. Um, have you kind of seen that from them all season or is that something that's kind of coming and going? I would say most of the season that's been the case, but certainly they had that lull where yeah. they dropped three straight to you know Milwaukee and to the Clippers and to the Bulls. And the funny part about that was you know the Milwaukee game. Obviously, that's a, a middling team, a team much like the, the Knicks trying to stay above 500. And they blitzed them uh, on both ends of the court. And afterwards, LeBron almost in like a man, like this is what we had to deal with type of manner said. You didn't see them playing like that when they lost to Orlando. You didn't see them playing like that when they lost to the Kings. I think it was the other team you mentioned. Uh, because you know every team around the league generally gets up to play the Cavs, and you'll you'll get a rambunctious team like that all of a sudden playing like their hair's on fire, uh, <laughs> trying to to make make or break their season. And so I think the Cavs that was that three game losing streak was a reminder that you know hey yeah we do have the targets on our back. If we don't, I, we are playing the best basketball over a sustained period of time that we've done since we brought the big three together. But if we don't come with a requisite focus on any given night, then nights like that will occur. And, uh, hey, we have good enough talent here, and we're playing in the East, that we could be the number one seed overall. So let's make sure that we don't allow nights like that to happen with regularity and end up in a situation where we're playing a game seven, potentially, of the NBA Finals on the road again. Yeah, that's a good point. You mentioned the big three, Dave. And for much of last season, I was trying to wrap my head around a big three. They really seemed like a big two and a half most of the time. I feel like now Kevin Love looks like he's in a groove where that that big three in Cleveland is legitimized. You know, he's he's playing at a level, I would say an all-star level even, um, this year for an Eastern Conference frontcourt player. Uh, do they feel, does does the group feel like Love is in a comfort zone now, just nightly, in terms of when he where he's going out and playing to his strengths and being effective um, night in and night out? Absolutely. He's an all-star. I also think this is the best basketball he's played his entire career. Mm-hmm. And I know oh. you think back to Minnesota, he had, you know, the 30-20 games and things like that, but there was no wins attached to it. I think the most wins he ever had in Minnesota was 38 wins. He's going to get, you know, if, if the Cavs take care of business, 60 plus wins this year. And he's a big part of that. There's a complete understanding of what they're trying to do. Teron Liu is emboldening Ken Love to start off every game. You know, he had that 34 point first quarter against the Portland Trailblazers. And Ty Liu announced to the world that kind of like the worst kept secret around the Cavs that we run every <laughs> single. First play of every game for Kevin Love, and we continue to feed him in the first quarter 
because once he gets going offensively, he feels like he has more of a rhythm on the other aspects of the game. And then so there's the, the, the recognition, the understanding, and the confidence that's there. And then his body is in a really good place. You yeah. know, coming mm-hmm. off his first season with the Cavs, he had the shoulder uh, injury. He had a rehab last off season and didn't get to really work on strength. It was more like just getting your body to a point where it can actually you know play basketball. And this past off season, coming off the championship, didn't have USA basketball commitment, right. uh, was able to do a certain amount of rest and then build up strength. Uh, and you see him, you know, battling on the boards a little bit more than he did, getting the end ones, and then just some savvy plays. I mean, he's getting way more free throws attempts this year than he did the last two years, and he's become one of the best guys in the league at that that pump fake from a three-point line and having a big man who's not used to guarding on the perimeter, landing on him and going to the foul line, and he's a pretty darn good foul He's usually making three out of three. So all aspects of the game right now are flicking. He tried that last night, and he almost drew a technical foul on Jeff Hornacek for complaining about it. When, when he got, I can't remember who it was he got up in the air, but it, he, he was doing work last night. Uh, that also kind of leads to talk about Kyrie, um, the other part of the big three. And uh, What have you seen from him this year, Dave, that differentiates from, from the way he played last year? I mean, we've always known him as a great one-on-one player and scorer. Has he taken that to a, a different level this year? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly that's still his bread and butter and, and what makes him so exciting and, and, you know, probably one of the five most skilled players when it comes to, you know, dribbling and, and finishing. Yes. But he, again, is a point guard that for years was bucking against those skills. You know, he had Byron Scott to tell him, you know, that's not what point guards do. He had Mike Brown tell him that's not what point guards do. Ty Luce is he's our scorer. <laughs> so he's, he's clearly a combo guard drop the point, you have a, you know, perhaps the best point forward ever to play the game in LeBron James on your team. So it allows you to take advantage of that. And the, his main responsibility is to push the pace and try to get as many possessions a game as the Cavs can because they are, you know, at, at one point last year, they were by far and away the most efficient team in transition in the league uh, with both LeBron and Kyrie in plays where they were both involved in transition opportunities. Uh, shooting roughly 75% from the field uh, between the two of them when they attempted shots. So uh, he has now the responsibility of, okay, I am a scorer, and I need to do that more and more often. And so it's not like he can just uh, laissez-faire his way through a game and, and, uh, you know, take a ton of dribbles just to excite the crowd. Uh, But I think that, that style of play appeals to him more than the traditional pick and roll sets that, that, you know, I guess less teams are, are running point guards that way uh, these right. days, but that still exists, and, and he doesn't really have to be mired in that type of basketball. So much is made, Dave, of, uh, of a team's chemistry and mood and attitude when they're coming off a championship. The, you know, we watched Golden State last year get on the horse and, and ride, you know, make a historic run during the regular season. But when I watch this Cavs team, they look like a team that's so calm and understands exactly what the what the ebb and flow of this regular season needs to be for them. Like they they're clearly understanding that chasing goals in in the regular season are are, are not a wise thing to do for a team that has aspirations, obviously, of repeating and and making what is a ridiculously what seventh straight trip 
potentially to the finals for LeBron, which would be unbelievable. How different is the mood of this team heading into Christmas <laughs> this year compared to what it was last year when they had a really good yeah. record? But obviously things, you know, changed firing David Blatt, um, you know, basically a month later and, and everything else that went down. Well, thank you. One, obviously, everything else that went down made them NBA champions, so they know that they can rely on one another in tough situations mm-hmm. and, you know, create greatness. So that confidence is, is you know, as Ty Lue likes to say, when you win a championship, it's like a blood infusion between the guys. So mm-hmm. all those, those guys have those memories and they know they can rely on one another. Also, the, the, there were question marks at this point last year, even though, obviously, they were racking up wins. The question marks of can Kyrie Irving come back from that knee injury and be the guy he was before? Right. Is Iman Shumpert going to come back effective? Uh, is David Black ever going to figure out a way to effectively use Kevin Love? Uh, is David Black going to be able to, you know, uh, engender confidence in, in the tough situations that w- would follow? Uh, those things are all removed from the equation now. Now the challenge becomes okay, the actual only like team thing afflicting this group right now is do they have a backup point guard and do they have enough rim protection? Right. Um, I think every team in the league would like rim protection or more of it. So that's, that doesn't make them unique. Now the backup point guard is a real thing. They got to figure it out. They don't have yeah. a guy they feel like they can rely on right now. They, they brought in DeAndre Liggins on the non-guaranteed deal. He made the team. Now he's their starting shooting guard because J.R. Smith hurt <laughs> at, at the moment. Uh, Case Elder, the, the rookie out of Oakland, they're not ready to have him right. play big minutes. Uh, Jordan McRae, they experimented with him. He he's not working. Iman Shumpert's done a pretty good job filling in at back of point guard, but that's not his natural position either. So they got to do that. Um, but that the other thing you would add to the list in terms of stress or tension is just complacency, and that's a natural human emotion too, because you know you won the championship. So. Yeah. Uh, the, the 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 drama or the issues with this team right now uh, are are nowhere near what they were a year ago at this time. Even though the records, you know, roughly the same what it was. Yeah, Dave. Uh, before we let you go, all time Syracuse basketball starting five. Go. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, good. I love this best podcast ever. Uh, Dave <laughs> Bing, Carmelo Anthony, Derek Coleman. Uh, if I go cycly, mm. um, and then you know, since the 2003 team won it all, uh, you probably go go Jerry. I mean, Jerry McIlroy. You, you got to have Carmelo oh. and Jerry because they won it all. I mean, obviously Sherman Douglas better pro. Uh, you know, Lawrence Moten made it to the pros. My boy Keem Moore going to be mad that I leave him off here, but <laughs> I think that that's that's my five. I think that uh, I'll stick with that. I'm pretty confident with it. I like that. I like the five, but I, I like better the bench. Like pro Washington, you know, you got to get Adrian, Adrian Autry. You got to get some other like some all time yeah, cool cats well, on Adrian the bench. Autry is the reason reason we still have a, a, a squad to, to speak of today. He's our <laughs> recruiting guru. But, uh, exactly. Yeah, I mean, Pearl Pearl was man his time at Syracuse. Yeah, I could be underestimating him, but didn't get the chip. Man, talk about about the chip. You know, I, I wouldn't have a, a ring with Jerry and, and Carmelo. So. <laughs> Nice. Dave McMiniman hanging out with us here on the Hang Time Podcast, man. Good to get you on here. Um, I'm sure we'll see you somewhere down the road. And, uh, you know, like I said, try and 
Try and suffer the rest of us fools when we come around asking those questions you've asked a million times already. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I don't see you in person, I'll certainly see your face plastered up on the wall in Indianapolis in the video. <laughs> right above the trash can where David Bennett right says up. I belong. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dave. Appreciate you, man. All right. All right. Thanks, Dave. Well, we go from one reigning champion to uh, the most current champ. The, the champ I'm is the, here. I'm the other reigning champ. What are you talking you know? about? I was the last champ year's... last week, baby. What have you done for me lately? This is Janet Jackson podcast. And uh, when we get to bragging rights, we always start with the king, me. It's time for bragging rights as the guys put their rep on the line. Uh, well, the season of perfection has ended. Uh, even the king has to come down from the mountain every once in a while. I know I did not go unblemished again this week, John. So go ahead and hope you left the throne behind for me. <laughs> give me the give me the raw truth here. What happened last week on Bragging Rights? Last week, I do not have the stats up. Okay, the Cavs beat the Raptors, <laughs> which you both had. The Rockets beat the Celtics, which Seku got wrong Damn. for his first loss. Damn. Wait, and that means I that means I got it right. Yes, you did. Yeah. Okay. Big Rockets believer, and the Bulls. Lost to the Blazers, which you both got wrong. Nice. Great. This week, we're going one game Friday, one game Saturday, one game Sunday. Okay. Friday, Raptors at Celtics. You go first since you, since you take won last week. Let's go home team. We got Al Horford back. Let's go Boston. Uh, listen, if it comes down to a last second play, could we get Marcus Smart not to flop and get in the <laughs> way of Al Horford trying to put in the game winning layup? Um, he didn't. Hey, he didn't get in his way. Al had a, Al had a wide open shot. He, <laughs> oh, look at you, buddy! You know, you, it's true. You needle Al quite often. I mean, I thought it would end when he left your Hawks, but you still got a little Al. thing about poking Al, don't you? Tell the truth. He did miss. He had a wide open shot. He missed it. I, it, I, I, I'm pretty sure the play they drew up though wasn't like I don't. I don't think they anticipated that they were just going to leave Al wide open to <laughs> to drive to the basket. That was kind of a weird defensive play too, but. Uh. I'm going to go with the Celtics. You're right about Marcus Smart. That flop was Marcus Smart flops. I mean, it's it's out of control. His nickname has to be Wicked Smart, right? Wicked Smart, definitely. Definitely. To Boston uh, on Saturday, Blazers at Pacers. And talk about two unpredictable teams. Good grief. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. since David Benner is the worst PR man in the NBA, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and pick the Trailblazers and somebody please clip that and send it to Benner so he knows that we haven't forgot about him. I'm going to take Portland also. I just I don't I I think Portland's a little less unpredictable. I don't think either one of them was playing defense like I thought they would, but yeah, Portland Portland does have a, a big game hunter in in Damian Lillard. He's playing much better um as of late here. He's he's back to his normal self. Yeah. Then Sunday, Knicks at Lakers. On the seventh day, we're supposed to rest, John. It's bragging rights day. You're right. Never mind. Um, eesh. I don't. I don't trust the Knicks. The Knicks are going to have a night off in Los Angeles before that game. Just point That's that never out. Never a good thing. Although they're they they're in New York, they're not a. It's not that big of a difference yeah. for them. Uh, um, you know what? I'm going to Knicks. Even though I don't trust them, I'm, I'm gonna go with the Knicks. I think I am too. I I don't know. I think the I don't trust them either. They've they've, they've been pretty good lately. It's a I mean, ringing endorsement for the Knicks. We don't trust them, but 
a lot of it also is like Derrick Rose if he's going to be healthy by then. Yeah. Because uh, then when Brandon Jennings starts, when the, then they have to play Vujicic big minutes at the backup. and um, That's never an exciting so, prospect. But I, I think Melo, KP, they have big games on big stages. So yeah. I, I'll take the Knicks. All I know is I need to get back to perfect. I feel a lot better when I'm when Don't I'm pick the same team. So oh, so enjoy. In this together this week. <laughs> Nothing like bragging rights. Well, look, Lang, big shout to John Schumann coming on with his Schumann stat, even though you tried to uh, muscle in on his uh, territory with your own stat. And Dave McMiniman from ESPN, Cavaliers writer, NBA writer. Uh, appreciate him joining us this week on the Hangtime Podcast. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, please. Be sure to leave a glowing review. Uh of what we do here, especially Lang and the dulcet tones that rumble out of his gibbers every week. And uh, you can get a new episode of the Hangtime Podcast every week on Thursday. And we'll see you right here next week on the Hangtime Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes for a new episode every single Thursday this season. And as always, people, remember, say kuna matata.